right, let's take our Bible this morning and go to Psalm 66. Psalm 66. Psalm chapter 66, and let's look in verse 1, and we'll read a little bit this morning. <clears throat> All right, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness to us today. We thank you, Lord, for loving us, God, and taking care of us, Lord. We thank you for the pleasant weather, God, that we've had, God, this morning, Lord, the last couple of days, God, Lord, just right in about the right temperature range. I guess that's a subjective judgment, but, Lord, we, we certainly do thank you and praise you for that, God, Lord, we pray that you'd help us this morning, God, as we've gathered here, Lord, around your word. God, we pray that you'd help us, God, to understand, Lord, what it is that you've got for us. I pray that you'd help me, God, to teach, Lord, to preach, Lord, with the right attitude, the right mindset. God, I pray that you'd help us. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm chapter 66, look in verse 1. The Bible says, Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say unto God, How terrible art thou in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name, Salah. Come and see the works of God. He is terrible in his doing toward the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice in him. He ruleth by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Salah. So I want to try and uh, give you a lesson or a sermon on God's authority this morning. You look there in verse 3. And the Bible says, Say unto God, How terrible art thou in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. And then in verse 7, he says, He ruleth by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. So you got two verses right there in Psalm 66 where he says, verse 3, Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves. Verse 7, He ruleth by his power. So uh, Wednesday night, I believe it was, I, I tried to bring you a message which didn't quite turn out how I was uh, trying to plan for it to go, which is fine with me, but I had something else that I was driving at, which I think, Lord willing, we'll get to tonight, this evening in the Sunday evening service, but I spent some time talking to you about Job got to this place to where he said, now I, I know. I, I, something that I've known, talking about the omnipresence and omniscience of God, the fact that God, or the omnipotence of God, the fact that God can do anything. God is all-powerful. All power is vested in the God of heaven. And then he also said, I know that you know everything. No thought can be withholden from thee. He's the God of all knowledge. God knows everything. There's not anything going on in the world, in your heart, and in your bedroom, there's not anything going on that God does not know about. And we often, we, it's, it, salvation is a wonderful thing. I certainly don't want to take away from that. Salvation is a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a glorious thing. The grace of God, the mercy of God. But we often take away from God's attributes by emphasizing the grace of God, God's mercy, God's long-suffering. We take away from who God really is by forgetting that those things sit in a context. And the context is God's authority, God's power, God's holiness, which Lord will I be preaching about this morning in the Sunday morning service. Not too many sermons preached on God's holiness anymore. 
And those are just things, those are, those are things that when you look through the Old Testament, I was, I've been reading a little bit after these, uh, uh, some of these old Puritan preachers back in the early and mid-1600s, and uh, Thomas Watson was one of those, and I believe he's Presbyterian background. I know he's Calvinist, but he said, he said that uh, the way that God speaks to man is through the two lips of the Old and New Testament. And that's, that's a little simple ditty, a little simple statement, but you think about that for a second, and that would explain. It re- I really believe that a lot of folks are walking around with a whole Bible, but the only part of it that they read is the New Testament. And because of that, you miss, you miss a really large context of who God is. Amen. If the only God that you know is a God of mercy and a God of grace and a God of long-suffering, praise the Lord, but you're missing. You're missing the much greater context. Anyways, to get on with the lesson, the sermon this morning, I spoke to you about that on Wednesday night, and it's a humbling thing, and that was, it's a humbling thing to get a glimpse of God's power. His omnipotence, to really take a step back. And I think it's something that we should do more as individuals and as a church. We should take a step back and really consider the fact that the God that we serve is not just the God that sent his son to die for our sins. He's the God that has all power. He's the God that has all power. And when when you get a glimpse of that, it's humbling. It makes you, makes you want to put your head underneath the carpet. Amen. The reason, I I can't help it, I I can't help but get on little rabbit trails here and there, but the reason that you have such the the attitude and the air of levity in our churches that we do right now is because you've got churches filled with people that have no concept of who God really is. The reason that people come down to an altar hopping and skipping and popping bubbles out of their bubble gum is because you don't know who you're really dealing with. That's it. Uh, Lost people in the 1600s were still reprobates. They've always been wicked, but they had a greater sense of who God was than saved people do right now. And all it took was for a preacher in the 1600s, all it took was for a preacher to get up behind the pulpit and preach to lost men and just stir up their minds about the fact of God's holy. There's a judgment day coming. And it, it make people go home and rest uneasy. It'd go home and keep them awake at night. Now you've got churches, and I'm, I'm going to just call it whether you like it or not. First Baptist of Boulogne left us a little invitation here in the church stuffed in the door. I had the back door locked while I was up here studying one day. They left an invitation for us to come down there to one of their little gospel sayings. And they're having the Bledsoe's in. I've never heard of them. They're somewhere out of North Carolina. And you open up the invitation and look at it, and it's got a picture of a trio. Two of them are men, and at least two of them I think are men. That's what it looks like they're advertising themselves as. And one of them is certainly a woman. But the fellows look like they're transvestites. And so you, uh, so they, you know, the invitation says, you know, go on the internet and pull them up, and you judge for yourself the sincerity of heart and quality of sound. Well, I, I looked at looked at them on the internet, and the pictures, what you see on the internet, is worse than what the picture is on the invitation. And I, I, I got a good hunch on why that is. I have a hunch that the reason that that is is because uh, those spineless 
yellow-bellied preachers down there at First Baptist. You tell them I said so. I don't give a flip. Amen. Those spineless, yellow-bellied preachers down there at First Baptist of Boulogne, uh, the, they put that picture on there because they knew that this is a county filled with men. And if we put transvestite pictures on, there ain't no men going to come out here and listen to it except a bunch of Southern Baptists. Amen. You lump it if that makes you mad. I, I kind of hope it makes you mad a little bit this morning. Gets my dander stirred up a little bit. The only reason that that stuff goes in churches anymore is because you don't know who you're dealing with. We don't know who we're dealing with. We've forgotten. If you've ever known to begin with, that's bad. That's, that's a bad situation. And so when you really get a glimpse of God's omnipotence, when you get a glimpse of how powerful God is, it doesn't make you want to step up on your tiptoes and be high and mighty, and, and it doesn't make you want to lord over people. It doesn't make you want to, you know, rub other people's in the, other folks' nose in the dirt. It makes you want to rub your own in the dirt. Yes, sir. So when you're dealing with God's power, there's a connection between his power and his authority. You look at over in Psalm 47. Turn with me very quickly because I've spent so much time ranting a little bit this morning, which I'm not sorry for, but Psalm 47, look in verse 8. Psalm 47, verse 8. The Bible says in Psalm 47, verse 8, God reigneth over the heathen. That speaks of his authority. Look in Psalm 93, verse 1. Psalm 93. Verse 1. Psalm 93, verse 1. <clears throat> Psalm 93, verse 1, the Bible says, The Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. But if that doesn't paint a picture of a king, I don't know what does. The Lord reigneth. He's clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. Let me tell you something. There ain't nobody... Out of his creation, there isn't any element, there isn't any animal that has given God his strength. He clothed himself. You didn't put no royal garment on him. He put it on himself. Don't need your help. Let me tell you something. The right thing to do this morning is to get in here and praise the Lord. The right thing to do is to go down to your house and bow your knee and bow your heart and worship him. But if you don't, he doesn't have to have that in order to be who he is. Wherewith he hath girded himself, the world also is established that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. Take your Bible and look in Psalm chapter 11. Psalm chapter 11, look in verse 4. Psalm chapter 11, verse 4, the Bible says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try, the children of men. So when you look at God's throne, what you're really looking at, you're looking at a place from which God rules and reigns. You're looking at the place of final authority. To use a term that we use here on, in this world, we say that when we, when we talk about a man that's in a position of responsibility and you can't get any higher, he usually says the buck stops here. Well, to use that same kind of analogy without trying to be disrespectful or irreverent of the Lord, the buck stops at God's throne. 
You can, in our court system, in our federal court system, if you don't like the decision that a lower court made, you can make an appeal. And when you make an appeal, that appeal goes to the courts, to the, to the level of the court above wherever you got the immediate decision. Well, let me tell you something. You can always appeal to God's throne, but once you get an answer from God's throne, it's over. You can't appeal any higher than to God's throne. That is the place of absolute, absolute, not relative, absolute final authority. Whether or not you like God's decisions or like God's input, God couldn't give a rip. That's the way it is. And you see, you, you notice, you kind of take a note of how abrasive that feels and you just make a statement like that and whether you mean for it to be abrasive or not, you can almost sense the, the, the repulsion from this society when you make a statement like that. But God doesn't give a rip what you think about his, about his judgment, about his decrees. Whether or not you think that it's right to be modest, and it is, whether or not you think it's right to be modest, God doesn't care. God didn't ask you. Whether or not you think it's right or wrong to gossip on, you know, whether how big or how little the, the word of gossip is, God doesn't care. God doesn't come to you and consult about anything. God makes up his own mind based on his holiness. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I tell you, I tell you why things get quiet in a church when you talk about stuff like that. It's because you've lived for so long having made up your own mind without consulting with the final authority. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's true. That's true. Our country, our country is established as a, it was established to be a constitutional republic. And the liberal left, I'm not going to say, say a whole lot about this, but I will say that the liberal left is doing everything they can to undo the way that this country was established. And I got news for you, a lot of the conservatives are too. Conservatives in politics is really almost a misnomer. It's really just almost a joke. We call them rhinos, Republicans in name only. But I don't have a whole lot of time to get into that, but I do want to draw an illustration right quick. Our country was established to be a constitutional, constitutional republic. Our country was made up of, is made up of states, 50 of them, regardless of what Barack Obama said. Amen. It's a shame that you got presidents candidating for that office who don't even know how many states there are. That's stupid. But nonetheless, it's made up of 50 states who agreed, they compacted together to be in a union based on that constitution. And then the actual governance, the government of that, of that union is split up into three different branches, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial. The executive branch is the president and his cabinet, right? And then the legislative is made up of two houses. There is the higher house, which is the Senate, and the lower house, which is the House of Representatives. And that, don't have time to go into all that. I'd, I'd like to, but I'm not going to. And then it's also made up of a court system, the judicial court system, and that is a federal court system. It has the highest court, which is the Supreme Court, and then it has all kinds of different districts going on down all over across the United States, so forth and so on. Well, what, the, what that system of government is, is it's a system of checks and balances because your forefathers understood something about man's nature 
that current politicians don't understand. They understood that men are wicked. They understood that men have a peculiar propensity towards foolishness. Now, some of them didn't understand that, uh, but some of them did. They understood that there was a peculiar propensity towards foolishness, and it would behoove man, if he's going to govern himself, to allow for some system of checks and balances so that when this guy says something, this other branch has the ability to say, no, we're not going to do that. So when the, when the legislative branch, the House or the Senate, makes a law, they have to get the president to sign off on it or he can veto it. Or the president can sign in a law an executive order, which is not law, by the way. Amen. I don't, I don't give a flip what they're putting on all these windows saying, according to state law, you have to wear a mask. That is not state law. That's something put into effect by the governor. That's not the lawmaking branch. That has nothing to do with spirituality, but it's true nonetheless. Amen. Amen. I, I, well, let me get on because I'll stay there for too long, won't get through this message. Of course, the clock is not moving very fast, so I keep on looking at it and saying, man, I've got plenty of time, man. I haven't. It's a quarter after seven. So y'all are in trouble, boy. But nonetheless, three branches. It's a system of checks and balances. Well, take your Bible and look over in Isaiah 33. I really was going somewhere spiritually with this. Well, look here in, in Isaiah chapter 33 and look in verse 22. I, I don't know how many times I've read this verse. But I've never noticed this until I heard a preacher point this out a couple of weeks ago. The Bible says, Isaiah 33, verse 22, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. You know what that is? That's the three branches of the American government in one person. You take authority, you take authority in an absolute sense, and you have to break it up among three different branches of government. Because men are wicked. Well, when you look at God, those three branches of government are confined to one individual. He's our judge. There's the judicial branch. The Lord's our lawgiver. There's the legislative branch. The Lord's our king. There's the, the executive branch. God is the final authority, not just over the United States, over every nation. You look there in Psalm chapter 66, and he said, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All ye lands, he says that again in Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. That's not just one nation, that's not just Israel, that's not just the United States, that's all the godless, depraved Muslim countries that want to worship a fornicating child molester. Amen. Amen. You like that or you lump that, but that's exactly what Muhammad was. Amen. Amen. All of them, the final authority is God, God. And I got news for you Christians sitting in here this morning. You think you can hide from God doing the devilment that you're doing in your own dark places down at your house or down in the dark recesses of your home. God is your ruler. God is your king. Whether you acknowledge that rulership or not, whether you acknowledge that authority or not, God is ruler over all. He reigneth. He reigns from a throne in heaven. Amen. Amen. Look in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Now, when God makes man, God is a king. God reigns. He has absolute final authority. When God reigns as king, he, as a creator, he picks up this world 
and he makes man. He makes this world, and then he turns around on the sixth day of creation. He makes man, and he takes man, and he puts him in a perfect place, right? Absolute, without sin, nothing, spot, nothing, no spot. It's, it's sinless. And the, God takes man and puts him in a perfect place. And I'll tell you that the world tries to paint the opposite picture. The world tries to paint the picture that when man comes on the scene, he's in a bad place and he works his problems out. But that is, that is not a biblical concept. The biblical concept is that when man starts, he's in a perfect place because of God's doings. And man messes it up. And then God has to fix it. That's, that's the biblical concept. You know what's wrong with evolution? It starts from a place of disorder and goes to a place of order through man's workings. On a more, just purely on a moral level. That's insane. If you know anything about your neighbor wanting to break into your garden and steal your vegetables or wanting to break into your shed and steal the stuff that you've got, you know that there's something wrong with evolution. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. You know who a fool is according to the scripture? It's a man with a moral problem, not a man with an an intelligence issue. That's right. So God takes man and he puts him in a perfect place. And so the world tries to paint an opposite picture that that man is put in a, in a perfect place, in a good place, and then he works all his problems out. It's not a biblical concept. It, it fails to paint an honest picture about what rebellion against God's authority will do. God takes man and he puts him in a perfect place, and God gives him a set of instructions, one commandment, and God exerts his authority. God says, listen, this is the way that you're supposed to live. And man rebels against that authority. That's the long and short of Genesis 3. Well, look in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You know the rest of the story. The woman took of the fruit of that tree, and she uh, told Adam about it. The Bible says in 1 Timothy that Adam was not deceived. He knew exactly what he was doing, but he took of the fruit of the tree, and man by transgression fell. By Adam's transgression, by the way. We often, we often lay the blame to the lady, and hey, she, you know, she did it first, but when it comes to sin entering into the world, the Bible makes it pretty plain that it was because of Adam's transgressions, not because of Eve's. You know what that tells you? That tells you, fellas, that the final responsibility of what your home does, it rests on our shoulders. That's tough. That's tough, but that's true. But nonetheless, nonetheless, it, it always goes back to a man. I don't give a rip. I don't give a rip what the feminists say. Now, you can get upset about that and say that a man's a chauvinist and say that he's a, he's a pig. You're a pig. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. What you don't like is the way that God set it up. You don't like God's authority. Yeah, man. I don't give a rip if the military is taking ladies and putting them on the battlefield. I don't care what affirmative action plan that is set up. I don't, it doesn't make any difference. I'm not saying that a woman can't do a lot of things. Proverbs chapter 31, man, a woman has quite a bit of liberty to do many things. Praise the Lord. 
But the moment where you try, start to try to get out from underneath God's authority in the way that God set it up, you are a rebel. You are a rebel. Amen. And that's just one of the ways where man manifests, manifests, where he manifests his rebellion. That's just one area. Amen. Amen. And a bunch of yellow-bellied, spineless fellas getting behind a group of women like that and saying, yeah, I think they just need to just move right on. You, you are a homosexual, buddy. You don't, you don't know what you are. That's true. But nonetheless, let's, let's get back to this. That's true. That's, that's true preaching. But anyways, so God takes this fella. You, you know what it tells you here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1? Here comes an old serpent, and he comes up to a fella. He comes up to this gal, and he entices her to take of this fruit. Man takes of the fruit as well. But you know what that tells you? That tells you that man by nature, man by nature, in his original state and the way that God made him, he was not intended to be a rebel against God. God did not make man to be a rebel. God made him to be submitted to himself. When God made Adam and Eve, and I'm not talking about you as a sinner. You as a sinner, you're a child of wrath, Ephesians chapter 2. You are a child of disobedience. That's who you are because of what Adam and Eve did here in Genesis 3. But before Genesis 3 ever showed up, when God made Adam and Eve, man and woman, and put them in a garden, God made them with the express purpose of being submitted to himself. That's how God made him to be. You know how you can know that that's true? Look at the life of Jesus Christ. You know who Jesus Christ was? He was 100% God, but he was 100% man. The Bible said that Jesus Christ left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. Jesus Christ, when you look at Jesus Christ, what you're seeing is what God's original intent was for man to be. God made man, put him in a garden in Genesis 3 in a perfect place and said, I want you to live in fellowship. I want you to live in subjection to me. Man failed. He rebelled against God. So God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and said, show them how to be people, the right kind of people. So you know what he did? He said, I do always those things which please my father. That's who you're supposed to be. It's an attitude of submission. You say, well, Jesus was sinless, and I can't be sinless. I understand that. That's because of your flesh. I fully understand that. But what I'm trying to get across to you this morning is this concept of submission to God's authority. God rules from a throne. God is a king. God has absolute divine final authority. And the way that God made you sitting in here this morning, God made you to be submitted to his authority. And listen, when you rebel against the authority of God... What you're doing, it, when you do that and you feel that ugh, inside that we call conviction, what that is, especially as a Christian, what that is is that's a signal to you that you are not living the way that God made you to be, both as a creature and especially as a Christian. I don't give a flip what this world says. Any homosexual, any homosexual knows that the devil, the devilment that he's engaged in, he knows that it's that it's grossly incorrect. He has to sear his conscience in order to get to a place to where he can look at somebody, and I say he, to where that individual can look at somebody of the same gender and say, oh yeah, I'm attracted. 
You've got to grieve God to such a degree to where you can't hear any kind of influence from right principle, from right, from God's right instruction. You have to get to a place of such degradation that you're beyond a lot of reach. You've got to jump over a lot of hurdles. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Homosexuality is wrong today. It was wrong back in Genesis 15. It was, back, it was wrong back with Lot and Abraham. And it'll be wrong in the tribulation. It will always be incorrect. And let me tell you something. Some, some folks in sitting in an independent Bible-believing Baptist church just like this one start to begin to take a soft attitude towards that mess because your family gets engaged in it. And let me tell you, all it is is rebellion against God's authority. You can get upset about that if you want. I don't give a flip if it makes you mad. And really, it doesn't make any difference whether it... That makes no difference what I think about it. God said it's wrong. Yes, sir. You better quit taking a soft attitude towards that stuff. Amen. A lot of folks don't know how close it is to their own house just because of the soft attitude that you take towards will and grace and towards friends and towards Hallmark. Amen. I'm telling you, man, when a greeting card company starts endorsing lesbians, you got problems. Amen. Lump it. Lump it, man. God's law doesn't change. God's not going to change his mind for you. Why? Because he sits on a throne. He don't have to change for you. Yes, sir. That's the God that Christians don't want to come to grips now with now. That's right. That's the God that when we come in here on Sunday morning, when we come in here on Sunday morning, we start preaching, you must be born again. People sit there. And... I'm about that close to starting to call folks out for that mess. I can't concentrate. It just blows me away, man. If it makes you that uncomfortable to where you've got to be that much of a distraction to me while I'm preaching, you're free to go. I don't want you to go because you need to be saved. But I mean, Lord have mercy, man. Amen, amen. Pull, pull, pull those folks off to the side. If they're your friends, pull them off to the side and say, what's going on, man? Why are you so uncomfortable in this church? I'll tell you, I'll look at you in your God-given eyeball and I'll tell you why you ain't going to do that. Because you ain't got the guts to do that. That's because you're more afraid of those folks than you are afraid of God. You're more concerned. You're more concerned with offending some of your friends or your family than you are with concerning a God of all authority. You are messed up. I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. You're messed up. It's true, man. You see how far we've come? See how far we've come, boy? We, boy, we're in bad shape. But we can get right. We can get right. You're going to have to start training yourself against this world. So you think when a preacher gets up here and starts blasting sin, you think he's the bad guy. Man, he's not the bad guy. He's trying to get you closer to God. There's a God that sits in heaven that has all authority. He's a holy God, and he wants to have communion with you. But he's not going to drop his standards just because he's offended your family member or your friends, or he's made you mad through something stupid that the preacher may have said, which if I had to guess, it's not what the preacher's 
said that was stupid. It's the fact of the devilment that you're engaged in. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. God took man and he put him in a garden. Listen, the, the place, listen, the place where God intended man to be was in a place of subjection to him. It's in a place of subjection. God made man and intended that man to be in a place of humility before God. When you stray from that place of humility and you begin to exalt yourself in the presence of a holy, righteous God, you are out of place. You've gotten into a position to where the, the crosshairs are fixing to fall on your back. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. In a perfect place, there's a commandment. Genesis 3, there's a commandment. Genesis 2 and 3. There's instruction. And then there's submission. There's submission to that authority. So the disobedient action that you find in Genesis chapter 3, the disobedient action that you find in Genesis 3 was much deeper than just eating a piece of fruit. It goes much deeper than just putting something in your mouth that God said don't put in your mouth. It's the heart of a rebel. It's the heart of a rebel. You've got to quit taking soft attitude towards sin. You've got to quit looking at things. You've got to quit looking at things like lying and quit looking at things like bitterness and greed and hatefulness. You've got to quit looking at those things like it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. You know why it's a huge deal? It's a huge deal because of the holy God that you offend. God's authority. God's authority. So one, listen, one simple act of disobedience, one simple act of disobedience, and God dismissed man from a perfect place. He dismissed him from a perfect place. Rebellion against God's authority was the, was the thing that threw this entire world into chaos. It wasn't, listen, it wasn't just a fellow reaching up off of a tree and grabbing a piece of fruit and putting it into his mouth, it was the fact that God gave instructions and God said, don't do this or make sure you do this. And man rebelled against those instructions. Man rebelled against what God instructed him to do. When he did that, it threw this entire world into disarray. Genesis chapter 3. Do you realize that when man rebelled against God, God started handing out curses? God handed out a curse to the serpent. Apparently the serpent was not a reproachful thing before Genesis chapter 3. But God told him, he said, because you've done this thing, on your belly you're going to go for the rest of your days. You're going to eat the dust of the ground. He said, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and the woman's seed. I don't care too much for a snake. Now if it's a black snake, I'll try. I'll do my best to let it go, but it better not get within three feet of me. Especially while I'm carrying a pistol or I got a hole in my hand. That's right. He'll be in pieces. Found that, found that uh, pygmy rattlesnake out here behind the church sitting on a lawnmower, buddy. That's bad. That's bad news. Not for me. For that snake. Yes, sir. You say, what is that? That's part of the curse. That's, that's a result of man's rebellion against God. You see that? You see that? You take a soft attitude. Well, you know, I know that the Bible says this or I know that God says this. But the moment that you start softening your attitude and your stance towards things like that, what you're doing is you're setting yourself up to throw, throw your world into a ray, to throw your family into a ray, to throw your workplace into a ray, just going to throw it into a million pieces. 
You say, why? Rebellion against God's authority. God has authority. That's right. That's right. The place of submission, listen, the place of submission, the place of subjection to God's authority was the scarlet thread that held the moral fabric of this universe together. The moment, the moment that the serpent slipped in and enticed Eve and then Eve gave to her husband and he ate of that fruit, the moment that that took place, that scarlet thread was beginning to be unraveled and the whole moral fabric of the world just came apart. You say, from what work, from what simple action, from an action of being a rebel against God, all it took was for one individual to look at what God said and then look at what his wife said and say, well, I'm going to go with my wife. It don't always have to be that way. A lot of times, I'm not trying to take no pot shots against no ladies. Of course, I mean, with as quiet as it is, maybe I need to, I don't know. <laughs> But nonetheless, and it's all right, just, just a little bit of jesting for you this morning. But I'm telling you, all it took, all it took was for a man to look at what God said. All it took was for a man to look at what God said and say, no thanks. I've got an excuse to do something else. Be that your wife, be that your kids, be that your workplace, whatever the case may be. It's all it takes. Puts man into a place of rebellion against God, and now his entire world has been foiled. God gave a curse to the serpent, and God gave a curse to a woman. Listen, you ladies, I know nothing about childbirth. Thank God. Praise the Lord. You know, we make, we make fun of ladies about, you know, having children, you know, and, oh, you're a wimp. And of course, I never have made that statement. I think I've told you the story about when I was standing next to my wife while she was giving birth to Lois. Last time I was ever in the birthing room, man, put this oxygen tube near her nose and make sure she's breathing. About halfway through that thing, it was up near my nose. <laughs> you know, you know. Apparently, according to Genesis chapter three, apparently in childbirth before Genesis chapter three, before the fall, childbirth was not something that was going to be that treacherous, something to be that painful. That's part of the curse. Fella, the fella, God handed out a curse to that fella. And God, listen, it seems like the most severest curse was towards that fella. Serpent, God cursed the serpent. The woman, God cursed her body in childbirth. That fella, God cursed the entire world. Cursed the ground. God said, that ground that you're tilling, work in the creation before the fall. So working's not... It's not a product of sin. It's a product of who you are, who God made you to be. It's a product of man's nature. But God said, that work that you're doing, God said, that ground that you're tilling, now I'm going to make it bring forth thistles and nettles, thorns. Yes, sir. That's a product of the fall. God cursed the entire world because of that man's transgression. You say, what is that? That's a product of a man rebelling against God's authority. That's all. Listen, if, you, if you're sitting in here this morning and you've got it in your mind that I'm not going to listen to no preacher telling me what to do, you have missed the boat. You've missed the boat. There ain't no preacher in his right mind. Of course, there are a lot of preachers that are not in their right mind. Unfortunately, it shouldn't be that way. But there, there's a whole denomination built on preachers that are trying to run people's lives and micromanage their lives. 
Amen. A whole denomination built on that thing. I'm not going to go into that this morning. But at the same time, if all you can see is that this preacher, all he wants to do is run my life. Kids, if all you can see is that my mama and daddy want to run my life, if that's all you can see, you've missed it. There's a God that deserves to run your life. You say, why? Because he has absolute authority. You know what the other side of that authority is? You know what the other side of having absolute authority is? He's got absolute responsibility. I have authority over my home, over my wife. But you know what that ensures? That ensures that I have to get up out of the bed every morning and come down here and study and preach so that I can get a paycheck and feed her. I could make a joke about how much she eats, but I'm not going to do that. That wouldn't be too polite. Brother Curtis is saying, don't do it. Bad idea. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But you, you know what that is? That's responsibility. It, listen, if God, I use that illustration to say this, if God has that authority over you, don't you reckon he'll take responsibility for you? Listen, if you're sitting in here this morning and you're lost without God, without hope in this world, God has already taken responsibility for you. You say, how's that? By sending his son to die for your sins. Yes, sir. That's, don't you reckon, don't you reckon, don't you reckon that's the goodness and the grace of God? Man made a mess of this whole thing. God came and fixed it. And, and listen, God doesn't, God doesn't force that remedy on your shoulders. God doesn't grab you by the arm and twist your arm behind your back and say, you've got to trust my son. God gives you a free will and says, it's up to you. Yes, sir. That's true. That's true. For one act, God handed out curses to the entire creation. Why? Rebellion against his authority. Take your Bible and look in 1 Samuel. We'll close here this morning. 1 Samuel, we'll close Sunday school anyway. 1 Samuel 15. This is an oft-quoted verse, and I just want to point something out to you, and then we'll be finished for this morning's Sunday school hour. 1 Samuel 15, look in verse 23. 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. The Bible says, Samuel's talking to Saul, and he says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. God give you instruction and tell you to do a certain thing and you just harden your heart and become stubborn against that thing. God says that's the same as iniquity and idolatry. That's the same as you go into some church or some temple where they've got a bunch of idols sitting in front of the building. It's the same thing as going in there and bowing down to that thing, to that idol. Because you are, you are bowing down to an idol. You may not be bowing down with your physical knees. You may not be bowing down with your physical body. But you are bowing down to an idol. You say, who's that idol? You. You're your own God if you're stubborn against the Lord. Well, look at that first phrase. He says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Boy, that's pretty severe. You know what witchcraft is? It's exercising authority. It's a man trying to exercise authority over something that he has no authority over. Uh, witchcraft deals with spirits. Whether you believe it or not, witchcraft deals with spirits. It deals with, the Bible calls them unclean spirits. The Bible talks about the Lord makes his angels uh, flame and fire and his, 
his ministers, ministering spirits. He goes through all of that stuff. I'm not going to give you a class on that this morning. I probably quoted that verse wrong. That kind of stuff sticks in my mind and says, no, you didn't quote that right. So you have to go. It's in the book of Hebrews. But nonetheless, he goes through, he goes through all that stuff and what witchcraft is when God sent Israel into the, into the land of Canaan to conquer it because of all their wickedness. He said, don't you mess around with no witches. He said, don't you mess around with none of these necromancers. I don't even know how to pronounce that. Necromancy. That's talking to dead people. Uh, there was a TV show not too long ago. Uh, I say not too long ago. It was probably about 10 or 15 years ago with a guy. The only name I remember, his first name was Jonathan. And he would fill this studio with all these people and bring up people, and he'd try and get in touch with their dead relatives. That's necromancy. God told you not to mess with that stuff. But I remember watching an, uh, a couple of clips of that when I was a younger fella. Uh, I say younger fella. I was probably, I don't know, 13, 14, 15. And I remember being troubled over that stuff, thinking, man, something ain't right about that stuff. God said, don't mess with that. Well, you know what the Bible says? That, what that is, let me get back to my original thought. What that is, is that's a man trying to exert authority over something that he has no authority over. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, he says, thou hast made man a little lower than the angels. There's an order. God, Jesus Christ, there's an archangel, something you might want to study. There are angels, there's principalities, there's powers, and then there are men. Men are not over angels. These doofuses that get on the TV and say, you know, I bind you, Satan. No, sir. Jesus Christ does that. That's a property of the Holy Ghost. When we get in here, when I get in here and I hear things taking place in this church and there's no person in here other than myself, I don't get in here and try to run those things out. You say, what do you do? I get in here and I pray. I pray hard. And then I go home. That's right. That's right. You say, you afraid? Yes. Not afraid of those things like I am afraid of the Lord. But I'm not stupid. Thou hast made man a little lower than the angels. He's not the same. He's not the same on the same level. So when a man gets involved in witchcraft, what he's trying to do is he's trying to exert authority, power over something that he has no power over. You know what the Bible says? Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You know what you are when you're rebelling against God's authority? You're, exalt, you're exerting authority where you don't have any. All you're doing is you're looking at God and saying, God, I know what you said, but I think I can take it from here. You know what the treachery of Adam and Eve's transgression was? It was the idea that they could make up their own mind where God had already made his decision. It was just exercising independence of God. Yes, sir. Get up. You got up this morning. Maybe you didn't have to do this, but maybe you did. Got up this morning. You opened your closet, looked at your clothes, and said, Lord, what do you want me to wear? Maybe you didn't have to do that, but that's a little illustration. You get up and you go to your pantry and you open up the closet and say, Lord, what do you want me to eat? How much do you want me to eat? You see, that's submission to God's authority. I'm not saying that you have to say that stuff audibly. That's a disposition. It's an attitude. It's an attitude of your heart. And let me tell you something. When that attitude is not present, 
when that attitude of rebellion is there, any time a man that has a disposition of rebellion, any time he comes into contact with authority, you ain't telling me what to do. God will take his authority and graciously give that to certain individuals. God takes some of his authority and gives it to government. God takes his authority and gives it to mommies and daddies. God takes his authority and for church matters, he gives it to pastors and he gives that to deacons. God takes his authority. You go on down the line, you can look where God has delegated his authority. When a man's a rebel against God, it doesn't matter where he meets that delegated authority, he rebels against it because that's who he is. That's what he is. He's not submitted to God's authority and so every time he looks at somebody that God's delegated his authority to, he says, you ain't telling me what to do. Let me tell you something. When it comes down to the final judgment day and you stand before God, God's going to nail your hide to the wall about that. You know what the right thing to do is? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Listen, if you take a right attitude towards God, if you take a right attitude of humility towards God, your attitude towards any authority that you meet in your life will be right. It'll be right. You may have to learn some things. You may have to get some things worked out in your mind. You'd be right. Amen. God deserves to be in the first place. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us this morning. God, pray that you'd help us, God, in the morning service. God, speak to us. and God, help us, Lord. Breathe on us, God, this morning. Lord, we need a fresh glimpse of who you are. And God, I pray, Lord, that you'd work in this church. God, work in the hearts of the folks that are here this morning. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray.